Good morning. Am I loud? Okay. So what I'm hearing is if you're pregnant and you want easy pregnancy, get a hold of Janai. She'll pray for you and it'll be no problem. Would you stand? We're in Hebrews chapter 7. We're actually going to look through this whole chapter this morning, uh, kind of flying over it. But I want to read beginning in chapter 6, verse 13, and take us through chapter 7 and verse 3. The running start into this uh, amazing chapter. So Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that's the promise and the oath, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that these are the things by which we grow spiritually. Taking in your word, asking you then to apply it in our minds, that we might apply it with our hands and feet in our hearts, in obedience to the things that we find and are listening to in your word. I pray, pray, Lord, the things that I've prepared, you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. Bless this time now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the writer of Hebrews has on his heart the maturing of the believers to whom he is writing. They are believers. And God the Holy Spirit has on his heart that we would not be remaining in any kind of state of arrested, uh, any kind of arrested state of spiritual development. That we would be growing up in all things in Christ. So in Hebrews 6.1, he says, Therefore, leading discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So I love what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said this, quote, Might not the inadequacy of much of our spiritual experience be traced back to our habit of skipping through the corridors of the kingdom like children through the marketplace, chattering about, about everything but pausing to learn the true value of nothing, unquote. Lord, help us to be growing and learning and hungry. How? Trusting in Jesus, he is our salvation from sin, Death and hell, past, present, and forever. Trusting him. Secondly, obey, this is the book of Hebrews. Obeying Jesus is our safeguard against regressing back into sin and unbelief. Obedience. And we looked at that, and we're looking at that even more. Finally, looking to Jesus, he is our endurance. He is our encouragement for the race that is set before us. We'll be getting to that. Jesus is our great and forever high priest. Is he yours? 
Do you know him? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Are you obeying him as one who is being saved? Are you looking to him lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul? It's Jesus. So do you know him moment by moment? In his holiness and majesty, he is ministering to you as a believer in heaven for your walk here on earth. He is our great and forever high priest. That's what Hebrews is all about. Are you holding fast the confession of your hope? Because we can do that without waver, for he, Jesus, who promised, is faithful. Can you say amen? He is faithful. So as we pursue him, as we're seeking after him, he is faithful to do all the things that he's promised to us. So the Holy Spirit has on his heart this morning, as we do through all of Hebrews and the Bible, but really in Hebrews, he has more of Jesus for us to consider. So this morning, a simple outline. Jesus is forever. Jesus continues forever. And Jesus has been perfected forever. That's chapter 7. So in this chapter, we're taking a closer look at this priest named Melchizedek. In the New Testament, the only place we find him mentioned is in the book of Hebrews. Nine times, six times preceded by according to the order of Melchizedek. Six times. It begins in chapter 5, the first mention, verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 5, verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom he says we have much to say. He's going to begin that. We have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, chapter verse 11 of chapter 5 is the beginning of a 24-verse warning that we looked at in the last couple um, studies. Now, as we get to chapter 6 and verse 20, going into chapter 7, where the forerunners entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you have this 24-verse warning, sort of, you can even take it out. He's now back to Melchizedek and us learning about him. So this mysterious fellow is mentioned two times only in the Old Testament. The second time is Psalm 110, where it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It just kind of pops up. Now, the first time we find it is in Genesis chapter 14. I want to spend a little time there this morning in this passage. Abraham comes to Lot, his nephew's rescue, after he had been defeated and taken captive. Abraham armed his own trained servants, 318 of them strong, went up against four kings and rescued everything and everyone uh, from, from these uh, kings that take them, Lot and his family. Upon returning from this great personal and military victory, Abraham first meets, and we are first introduced in Genesis 14, to this person named Melchizedek. Now, we're going to come back to this passage in a moment. Who is this person? In chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, there are six things that are details in conjunction with Genesis chapter 14. Here they are. Melchizedek was a was priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek met Abraham and brought out bread and wine. 
Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham. Melchizedek's name is translated king of righteousness, also translated king of Salem, meaning king of peace. In verse 3, we find things are not in the Genesis narrative, but are deduced from it. So in chapter 7, verse 3 of Hebrews, Melchizedek was without father. He was without mother. He was without genealogy. He had neither beginning of days nor end of life. He was made like the Son of God, and he remains a priest continually. So the book of Genesis is a book of genealogies. So you have from Adam to Abraham, and then from Abraham forward. But when we get to Melchizedek, there is no genealogy at all. So it, there's a stark contrast that's going on here. There's no genealogy. We're not told anything more about him than the things here written. So we don't know his parents. We don't know when he was born, when he died, or anything else about him. So in chapter 4 then, or chapter 7, verse 4, Hebrews, now consider how great this man, Melchizedek, was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So here we are called to consider how great this man, Melchizedek, was. Now, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, earlier we were called to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. The same thing three times to consider. And then we will later be, be called upon to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. So we're told to consider, I believe in every instance, three, Jesus. He is who we're considering. So in Hebrews 7, verse 5, follow me, I hope, in your Bible. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. They have a special place. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So God gave to the descendants of Jacob's son Levi this privilege of the priesthood. They received it and were to receive tithes because of it. Why the tribe of Levi? Why not the tribe of Simeon or the tribe of Judah? I'll tell you very simply because God chose Levi. He did that. He chose Levi to be the priestly line. And they were given a privileged place to serve among their brethren, to be provided for by their brethren. They had this privilege and duty as priests to bless the people of the Lord. Now we're told what the blessing was. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. What a blessing, amen? So the blessing of God 
came according to the law through the priesthood of the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. This blessing, great blessing. Chapter 7, verse 7. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. You with me? Melchizedek is better than Abraham and the whole of the Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek blessed Abraham who had the promises. What promises? That through Abraham's descendants, all the earth would be blessed. Through Abraham would come the promised Messiah, Savior of the world. Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham. All of Abraham's descendants paid tithes to Melchizedek, so to speak. Throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, we read of the greatness of Abraham. We are all children of Abraham through faith. Abraham is the father of our faith. And yet here, Abraham acknowledges the greatness and superiority of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is better than Abraham and the whole Levitical priesthood, but also Melchizedek lived before Abraham and all the Levites. Here, verse 8, mortal men received tithes, but there he received them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So Melchizedek lived before Abraham and before Levi. So the Levitical priesthood died as mortal men. In other words, Levi, it's your destiny. Now, the historian Josephus writes there were 83 high priests from Aaron to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. According to Talmud, the Jewish law, there were 18 high priests during the first temple and 300 plus before the destruction of the second temple. But listen, they all died, all mortal men. But of Melchizedek, we read, it is witnessed that he lives. So the scripture mentions nothing about the death of Melchizedek. So who is this man? A intri an intriguing Jewish perspective view identifies Melchizedek as Shem, the son of Noah. Now that's interesting to me, intriguing. He would still be alive when this Melchizedek-Abram encounter took place. It was 10 generations from the flood. Shem lived 600 years old. I say, no thank you. So Shem would have been alive, and depending on where he lived his life, a revered patriarch. So the Jewish view of Melchizedek identifies him as Shem. That's intriguing. For me, I would have thought Moses would have mentioned that, were that who it is. Another view of Melchizedek, Jesus is high priest of a better blessing in that he is in reality, Jesus, what Melchizedek is in allegory. 
what Melchizedek is in type. In other words, Melchizedek is just a foreshadow. And there are a lot of foreshadows. So there's credence to this. There's, there's substance to this view. So his blessing are not only better, but they are also superior. It's the idea that we're no longer looking to some great man, no matter how great he is or was, but we're looking to Jesus, the Son of God, our great and forever high priest. A third view that this Melchizedek is a theophany or a Christophany, which is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Now, I will tell you, I'll leak it. This is my persuasion. When Joshua led the people into the promised land, before they fought one battle, we find in Joshua 5, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversary? Interesting response. He said, no. Hold on a second. Are you for us or for our adversary? No. You see, the question is not, is he for us? The question is, are we for him? No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, notice, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Reminds you when, when Moses saw the burning bush. Same response. So I believe this is a theophany, a Christophany. Jesus showing up as the commander of the Lord's army. And then you have Daniel. In fact, the only times I know in the Old Testament where the Son of God is mentioned is when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace. And as they're being heated ten times and they're in there, and the king sees them walking around. He says, now, there, I, didn't we put three in there? Well, I see a fourth man, one like the Son of God, only times. So I believe that was another theophany, a Christophany of Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And then you have this thing called the Angel of the Lord, capital A of the Lord, L, capital O, capital R, D. The Angel of the Lord. Many times in the Old Testament, Hagar, Abraham, Moses, Balaam, the children of Israel, Gideon, Samson's parents, Manoah and his wife, David, Elijah, God, uh, Gad, Zechariah. So you see this angel Lord showing up all the time. Now, I don't believe all of them are Christophanies, but I see, I think it's very clear that at least some are. In other words, Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And why not? <laughs> it's all about him. So a theophany, here's what, I'm going to mention this several times because it struck me and this came to mind. So I'm going to share it with you and I'll share it a few times as we go through this chapter. A theophany had the effect of blowing their minds, bowing their hearts, and bending their knees to God. When Jesus showed up, you see this response over in these appearances, blowing their minds, bowing their hearts and bending their knees to God. God loves to blow our minds. He loves to blow our minds. Now, if you're Joshua going into the promised land, you think that would have blown your mind? If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you think that would blow your mind? But does not God show up also 
in many of the same ways in our battles, in our furnaces, in our going to battle. He wants to blow our mind. He is with us. He wants us to just bow our hearts before him, bend our knee before him and say, okay, Lord, you take over. I'm taking my sandals off because this is holy ground. He is no less with us in the same manner. Jesus is forever. Jesus continues forever. Jesus has been perfected forever. I believe that this Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Hebrews 7.3 says, but made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. In, it is in his incarnation that Jesus identified as the Son of God. You see this over and over. By the angel Gabriel to Mary. The devil, when he tempted Jesus, if you're the son of God, John the Baptist, it's the son of God. Jesus himself said, I'm the son of God. I'll point you to Romans 1 as a concluding passage. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, this is called the fifth gospel. Notice what he begins it with. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated the gospel of God, which he promised before, before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be what? The son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. In his incarnation that Jesus identified as the Son of God. There's a telling passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, where we read this. Now, Jesus was hated by these religious leaders. They were always trying to trap him and they, they might destroy him. So we get some of this in John 8. The Jews answered and said to him, do, you not, do, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan, have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assured I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Notice verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen, Ab have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, most assured I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of him. So he passed by and said, hey, I got to go, fellas. But not before he said, before Abraham was, I am. Could he be referring to this appearance, the theophany that we're reading about? Now, the time would come. When Jesus would, give, would surrender his life in the hands of these same enemies. You see, it's in his carnation that Jesus is put to death on the cross. He suffered death. He tasted death for everyone. 
talking about is death. He destroyed it when the power of death, that is the devil. He is the mediator by means of death of the new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. It's in his incarnation. The son of God remains the son of God. Running in the background. Running in parallel. From all eternity is now revealed. A snapshot, if you will, of what's coming when Jesus came. Why? To blow our minds, bow our hearts, and bend our knees to Jesus. He is forever. He continues forever. He has been, he has been perfected forever. So verse 1, Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God. As such, listen, as such, he became Abraham's priest. He met Abraham, brought out bread and wine, blessed Abraham, and received tithes from Abraham. Verse 2, first king of righteous and then king of peace. As such, according to the account in Genesis, same one where he met him, Abraham became Abraham's priest, but more than that, in addition to that, he became Abram's reward. Wow. The person of God the Son became Abraham's reward. I hold that Abraham had a personal revelation of Jesus himself in Melchizedek. God most high in this account, which we'll read in a moment, Elyon, which means lofty, supreme, is mentioned the first time in this narrative, and then a total of four times in this narrative. The first three times, Melchizedek is saying himself, the most high God. And so, as we read Genesis 14, beginning of verse, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tenth of all. And then, in this story, as the king of Sodom offers to Abraham reward, Abraham will have nothing to do with it. And he raises his hand as in an oath. He is responding now to the revelation he had of God Most High from Melchizedek. He raises his hand in an oath to God Most High. Let's read verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. Responding to his revelation he's just had of Melchizedek. That I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. That I will take anything and that I will not take anything that is yours. Lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. No, no, no. You're not my reward. God is my reward. Then the narrative continues. God reaffirming the covenant with Abraham. This unilateral covenant. In Genesis 15, after these things. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. To me, that is so powerful. It's this personal revelation of Jesus himself to Abraham in the midst of all that's going on to reaffirm the covenant, to meet him, and then give him this revelation of God most high. So Abraham said, Lord, so what are you going to give me? <laughs> because God had promised him, and now he's questioning God. Wise to do so. He's got God's attention in that sense. He said, so what are you going to give me? And then, and then God goes to, again, confirm and reaffirm this covenant, unilateral covenant, that through his descendant, the earth would be blessed. His son, the earth would be blessed. Therefore, again, back to chapter 7, verse 11. If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there's also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has, has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Jesus from the tribe of Judah. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arise another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For it is written, it, for he testifies, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let me summarize. There is this other priest, this other tribe, this priesthood being changed, this change of the law, this power of an endless life, this priest forever. Get this. It's running in the background. It's running parallel and now revealed. There is Jesus who has always been and always will be the great, wonderful, eternal high priest, forever high priest. In other words, does that blow your mind? Does it bow your heart? Does it bend your knee? God, Jesus showed up, snapshot to Abraham. He is forever. He continues forever. He's been perfected forever. Let's keep going. Verse 18. For on the one hand, there's a nulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There's this bringing in, it's coming into, into fruition. Let me summarize. There is this annulling of the former. This bringing in of a better hope. It's running in the background, running parallel, and is now revealed. All along the way, this superior priesthood of the person of Jesus himself. The Aaronic priesthood was not the ultimate priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was imperfect because the men in it were imperfect. The law was not given to make people perfect, but to reveal our imperfections. Verse 19, the law could not make a person righteous. Pastor John Corson said this, quote, 
The only thing the law makes perfect is it makes perfectly clear that no one can keep it, unquote. These are all God's shadows of the substance of Christ being our great high priest. Listen, the law, we've talked about this before, the law is bound to the Levitical priesthood. Two inseparable parts of a whole. Under the law, the people could not get along without the priesthood. So you have these contrasts. What they received under the law and who would arise after the law. The order of Aaron and the order of Melchizedek. The fleshly as pertaining to the fleshly people commandment, which could never bring life, versus the power of an endless life as pertaining to him who gives life. You have the former commandment, which was weak and unprofitable, and then you have the better hope which was by which we draw near to God. Under the law, the people could not get along without the Levitical priesthood. But listen, in bringing in a better hope, we draw near to God through Jesus forever. Forever. He is forever. He continues forever. He's been perfected forever. Verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made perfect without an oath, he was not made priest without an oath, for they had become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The promise and the oath that we read in the beginning. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better thing, a better covenant. There are eight better things running in the background, running in parallel, now revealed. To blow our mind, to bow our heart, and to bend our knee. Eight things in, in Hebrews. A better blessing. A better hope. A better covenant. Better promises. Better sacrifice. You have a triplet, you have a doublet, and you have a triplet. Better blessing, better hope, better covenant. Better promises, better sacrifices. A better possession. A better country. Listen, a better resurrection. Verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, some have said to the guttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He continues forever. He has never been interrupted or intercepted. The unchangeable priesthood, never been altered or transferred. Now, the contrast with Aaron is that it was transferred continuously from the father to the son, to the son, to the son, to the son. This is non-transferable. It's uninterrupted. It's unintercepted. It's Jesus who has always been and will always be the great high priest. The emphasis, I believe, is on he continues forever. He always lives God himself, the son of God. I thought of Revelation chapter 1, where John hears this voice, I'm the Alpha and the beginning and what you see right in the book and send to the seven churches in Asia. He names the churches. Then John says, and then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
So picture, here's the revelation to John. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, or you find in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his mouth, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance like the sun, shining strength. Can you, here's John. He's seeing this revelation from God, Jesus in glory. And he hears this voice telling him to write revelation. And he turns to see the voice. And he sees this incredible revelation of Jesus in glory. And then it says in verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. He continues forever. He is unchangeable. He always lives, always has. He is God. So 26, we're almost there. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. From higher than the heavens. What he is, he is in himself. The complete package. Jesus. Always has been, always will be. Holy, his very nature. Harmless, no malice or craftiness. Undefiled, no moral impurity or defilement. Separate from sinners. He is human like us, yet he is wholly unlike us. And he came and died on the cross for us. Has become higher than the heavens. He is seated in heaven, God most high. What he is, listen, he is for us. It was fitting for us. We are lost, needy sinners, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and now have a great high priest, the forever high priest, who continues to minister to us these promises, these truths, these revelations. He is forever for us. He continues forever for us. Not Abraham in that sense, but for us today. He has been perfected forever for us. And so wrapping the chapter up, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men of weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints his son who has been perfected forever. Jesus is not as the earthly priesthood always was, busy offering sacrifices. Someone said there were no chairs in the temple. That's what they did continuously. And yet, what about our great high priest? He is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, saying, he's mine, she's mine. 
Dr. Saffer said, quote, there are two things. How much Satan we need and how well Christ can do at it. His mediation must go low enough to reach the cross, high enough to reach the heavens, and deep enough to enter into and abide in our hearts. <laughs> Listen, Jesus is forever for you. Jesus continues forever for you. Jesus has been perfected forever for you. So is he yours? Do you know him? Are you knowing him? Are you trusting him for your salvation? You can. You must. There is no other option. Are you obeying him as one being saved? You must. There's no other option. He is for you forever. He's continuing forever for you. Are you looking to him? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. I hope these truths that are beyond merely the communion, I hope some of these things that have been shared from his word are doing exactly that. They're bringing us again to our great and forever high priest in repentance and faith. We're looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's there for you right now. Are you holding fast the confession of your hope without wavering? God is faithful. He is forever for us. And so I put the blessing out. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Have the worship team come in, come up. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, Jesus preached forever because he is forever. He remains forever because he is forever. He continues forever because he is forever. He is forever for you and for me who have put our faith in him. Who died for our sins and rose again and is now glorious as the son of God for you and for me. Let's worship him. Would you stand? Let's just worship and I'll come and close us in a prayer.